Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm your host, Adam Rodericks, and today I am elated to welcome you to a special KPMG Podbyte series entitled The State of Crypto Assets. I'm joined today by my esteemed colleagues in technology risk consulting, Mitch, Kunal, and Kareem. Welcome, everybody. Can we just start off with some brief roundtable introductions? We'll start off with you, Mitch. Please let everybody know who you are and what you do at the firm. Thanks, Adam. I'm Mitchell Nicholson. I've been with the firm for a few months, and I'm really interested in crypto. I've been in the space for a while, and at the firm, I try to get involved with everything crypto. All right. Hi, Adam. Happy to be here. Uh, this is Kunal Basin. I'm a senior manager in our risk consulting practice, and I co-lead all our blockchain and crypto asset efforts across Canada alongside Kareem. I've been in the crypto space since 2015 and, and happy to be working on it full time here at KPMG. Hey, Adam, it's uh, Kareem Sadik. So I'm a partner in our technology risk consulting practice. I co-lead uh, risk consulting blockchain practice along with Kunal, and I am very lucky to be joined by uh, my esteemed colleagues here. And of course, Adam, nice to be talking to you again. Yes, and I should say, Kareem, you're back by popular demand because, of course, we worked on another podcast series together. Actually, one of our channel's most successful series in its history on Project Risk Services. Shameless plug, but I encourage all of our listeners to check it out if you have not already done so. Now that I've got that out of the way, let's get to the matter of hand. I feel like in today's world, I cannot go a single day without hearing about some form of crypto asset. I know I'm not alone, whether that's Bitcoin or Ethereum, NFT even Dogecoin. But based on the conversations that we've all had, I know that these examples that I just kind of rattled off only scratch the surface. So let's just set the ground. Let's just basically hit the ground running. Can you start off by elaborating on what the term crypto assets encompasses? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, obviously, maybe I'll, I'll start off with the easiest part of it, what people commonly know as crypto assets. So crypto assets have the roots within Bitcoin. So this was the first system to allow its users to transact value peer-to-peer -peer without reliance on a trusted intermediary. So that's what everybody knows about crypto assets. So since 2009, Bitcoin has expanded significantly in value and it's peaking at a trillion dollars of market capitalization in May 2021. Maybe let me repeat this again because anybody that had any doubt about crypto assets I said it peaked at a trillion dollars of market capitalization in May 2021. That's incredible. Let's go a little bit beyond Bitcoin. So there's a diverse landscape of crypto assets now. Other blockchains, like you talked about it, like uh, Adam, like Ethereum, there's Polkadot, there's Solana, they're, they have alternative designs to achieve different objectives than Bitcoin. So this is basically a lot of the questions that people would have asked of Bitcoin. Can Bitcoin do this? There are alternatives out there. So this may include higher transaction throughput or shorter settlement times, usefulness of payments, or even allowing for programmatic money where users can actually conduct more complex transactions through exchanges value between each other. That is so cool. Any other yeah. comments anybody wants to add on that? Mitch, yeah? Yeah, Adam, just to follow up on Kareem's last comment there about programmatic money. So Bitcoin, it's really about transferring value, sending Bitcoin from myself to you, Adam, for example. And with programmatic money and really smart contracts as the tool that enables that, Ethereum and other uh, blockchains that have this feature allow for much more complex transactions. And 
from there, users can actually write code and, and build applications that are native to a blockchain. And that from there, we also get composability where one smart contract or application can interact with another. So you can think of a borrow and lending application interacting with the trading application. And this feature mirrors the peer to peer transactions of Bitcoin, but it extends the functionality quite a bit. And some other examples beyond borrowing and lending are things like token swapping. So buying other tokens in a decentralized fashion or even insurance where um, if there is a risk that a smart contract may fail, you can buy insurance that is paid out through a smart contract rather than a trusted intermediary. And, you know, Kunal here, I, I'd add another one thing uh, to the whole ecosystem of crypto assets and which is also enabled by smart contracts is the stable coins. So we, we're seeing a really huge uptick in, in the stablecoin market as well. Uh, and these stablecoins are really, you know, tokens that are native to the blockchain and represent dollars that are held in, in deposit at a financial institution. So think of it as, you know, an organization which is a stablecoin issuer, it maintains a bank account which can receive dollars and it issues stablecoins to their clients or send dollars, you know, when their clients are redeeming stablecoins. So rather than relying on a traditional financial market infrastructure uh, for, for settlement of, of transactions, stablecoins actually settle on public blockchains. And, and the benefit of that is that this allows for settlement of claims 24 seven and 365 days a year in, in dollars. And this is a huge innovative um, technology that's, that's out there and that's been enabled by smart contracts and blockchains. And definitely, you know, there are aspects of how can you trust, how can you be transparent about it and how can companies actually rely on, on these stable coins being pegged one-to-one uh, -one on, on their bank account dollars. Uh, we will, you know, I know we will be discussing that in, in one of our future episodes on proof of reserves as well. Uh, wow, <laughs> to start, and forgive me if I sound mildly overwhelmed, but there are just so many different ways that we can take this conversation. Let's just start, right? We'll scratch the surface. Mitch, maybe you can elaborate on decentralized finance, more colloquially known as DeFi. Yeah, my pleasure. And like you mentioned, yeah, DeFi, it's something that has been in crypto for the last few years, but really has its roots in last summer, in the summer of 2020. And from there, we saw applications start to really emerge. And like I mentioned before, it's about the composability, the fact that applications can work together and reference each other because all of the code is stored on the blockchain. So you have one network that is able to be interoperable and from there other developers can build further applications on top of them. You can almost think of it like money Legos. And as decentralized systems, there's a very important element which is governance. So once these smart contracts are deployed, once the applications go live on the blockchain, any sort of updates to the application have to be done in a decentralized way. And through that, we have governance, which is there's governance tokens that allow users to vote on certain updates or proposals to various applications. So you can think of this kind of like uh, shareholder votes in traditional finance with uh, public equities. And what we've seen is that 
DeFi applications have vibrant communities where these users are suggesting up, upgrades, de deliberating on forums, and then ultimately voting with their tokens and having skin in the game where you have users in control of how the protocols or the applications evolve. So those who are most affected by the updates and the upgrades have the most influence on it, which is something I think is quite remarkable. Oh, that is so interesting. And in addition to being interesting, money Lego is also our KPMG phrase of the day. So that just worked out very nicely for us all. Um, I want to take a step back now to the overall crypto asset industry. Forgive me for asking what I believe to be a loaded question, but how has the industry evolved over this past year? Well, the industry has has matured substantially since March of last year, when when we all saw uh, COVID hit the entire globe, and and what that resulted is, you know, unprecedented fiscal stimulus resulting in expanded central bank balance sheets. Uh, mm. We saw negative or low interest rates. Uh, we we saw the rising asset inflation. So, all of these macroeconomic environmental factors. Um, resulted in many institutional investors express concerns of inflation materializing in, in real sense and and which has led to many uh investors thinking and, and considering bitcoin as a store of value uh just because of its inherent scarcity um it has been you know compared to to the likes of digital gold and and also there are other productive crypto assets like ethereum and, and the other blockchain protocols that Kareem had mentioned earlier on, um, which are able to offer yields and, and generate cash flows for these investors in, in this negative or low interest rate environment. So, so it is something that we're seeing evolve um, since March of last year substantially at a, and at a much higher pace. No, let, let, let me, I, I don't think we're actually doing it justice. Maybe, maybe let me chime in in terms of adoption, because this is, this is so important. And I'll try to split it into different ways. I'll, I'll talk a little bit first about overall adoption. So we've seen adoption by corporate treasuries, family offices, hedge funds, and even some of the large insurers that we know of from, from years before. So traditional financial service providers, such as financial institutions, asset managers, even firms like us, quite frankly, we're seeing ourselves expanding our product and services and service offerings to cover things as it relates to, to crypto in general. But then the most important part, because a lot of people or naysayers said, well, this might not be viable, but let's talk about some of these crypto native firms. So these crypto native firms have matured substantially. They've been hiring industry experts and meeting regu regulatory requirements. And to now they're offering institutional grade services too. So we've seen some of these firms go public with their stock trading alongside traditional financial institutions. So that's great when it comes to adoption. So overall, so together we've really seen the crypto asset industry institutionalize and, and now exists. It's, it's an in, investable alternative asset class with many different opportunities to gain exposure to offered like products and different services. So this has been incredible in terms of adoption over the past little while. That sounds amazing. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today's episode. I want to thank our three guests, Kareem, Mitch, and Kunal, for taking time out of their busy schedules to be with us in studio today. 
Join us next time on KPMG in Canada's Podbyte series entitled The State of Crypto Assets, when Kareem Kunal and I will be joined by Edwin Istet for a discussion on digital asset custodianship. Once again, I'm Adam Rodericks. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.